So uh, we have um, begun a conversation um, looking at the question, who is Jesus? Most of the time in, in here, what we talk about is what Jesus is teaching us. What what should we do with our finances? What should we do with our relationships? What should we do as a parent? What should we do um, with our substances and our addictions? What what does Jesus teach us about how we can be disciples, how we can be students in the school of Jesus and learn from him? That's what we normally talk about in here. But for, for the next several weeks, we're going to continue this conversation about who is Jesus? I mean, if we're going to listen to him, if, we're, if we think he's got anything to tell us, it's worthwhile to pause every so often and say, remind me again who Jesus is. And so we're going to be looking at the question of who Jesus is. And one of the, you know, the, the problem with that is that the, we have too much, too much uh, information that, um, that, uh, the, the New Testament has 27 books that talk about Jesus and four of them talk about Jesus at great length. The, the four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament constitute about 80,000 words or 150 to 200 pages, depending on what Bible you find it in. So there's a lot of information there, and it's very easy to think, well, hold on a second, did I, did I omit anything that was important? Did I, did I skip over something that's really important to answer the question, who is Jesus? And when, when you're in that situation, what do you do? When you're, when you're not sure if you missed something important, what do you do? You ask somebody else to look at it, right? You say, here's what it seems like to me. You know, what do you think? What, what's, what's your opinion about who is Jesus? And so we can have those conversations face to face with other believers or for that matter with skeptics. We can have conversations, who is Jesus? Um, but one of the great things about being a Christian is we can have that conversation with other people who've gone before us, people who, who don't look like us, who aren't part of 21st century uh, life, people from different times, people from different places. So, so um, we, we, can, we can look at what other, other Christians around the world and down through time have had to say about this question. And we're going to look, um, we're going to be guided, our conversation partner for this is the Apostles' Creed, which was a document that reached its current form in the 8th century and uh, was in, in uh, a more basic form in as early as the 2nd century. So that's the Apostles' Creed. I know it's too small, but the middle part talks about specifically this, who is Jesus? Who Who is Jesus? And... Um, these, these, these voices that are captured here in the Apostles' Creed come from Africa and from the Middle East and from Europe, uh, people from, from, uh, a six, six century span of time, um, that, that people discuss this and, and they said, well, wait a minute, you forgot to mention that, that part of the New Testament that says this or says that. So, so they've, they've really given this a lot of thought and we can benefit from having them as our conversation partner. So last week we, we began this and we looked at the first part of that paragraph and today we're going to look at the second part. It says, who was conceived, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. So that's, that's, um, the next part and that's what we're going to look at today. And this is something that, um, maybe today, um, is a little harder for people to take because, because, um, we know more. Frankly, we simply know more about human biology than they did in the first century. That, that we can, we can ask questions about, well, what, what exactly was going on there? You know, tell me about, you know, fallopian tubes and ovaries and, you know, things like that. We can actually start asking those sort of questions because we have a better understanding of a lot of things than they did then. You know, what did the ultrasound show? Well, unfortunately, the answer is there was no ultrasound. The ultrasound had not been invented. Nobody knows, nobody will ever know what the ultrasound showed because 
There wasn't one. And and um, a couple of years ago, I um, I took the uh, what is it? Twenty three and Me. I had the the twenty three and Me test. I don't know if anybody else has done that. You spit into a cup and mail it off, and then it comes back and they tell you what your DNA says. It tells you about all your your genetic, you know, which finger is longer than the other and so forth. So it tells you about all those things. And the reason the company is called 23andMe, you, you, may, you may know, is, is because there's 23 chromosome pairs. And each pair has one chromosome from the mother and one from the father. And so we might say, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. If Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary... Did he have 23 chromosomes? Did he have 46 chromosomes? We, we can start asking these sort of questions because we have a more sophisticated understanding of biology than they did in the first century. But if we do that, we're just adding extra questions. We're not, we're not coming up with a, a new way of looking at the problem. We're just adding more questions. Because if the people in the first century knew anything, they knew that virgins did not normally give birth. They might have heard legends about it, you know, the, some some uh, pagan myth or something. They might have heard legends about a virgin birth, but they knew that it was out of the ordinary. That it wasn't something. Oh yeah, you know, you know, the girl down the street she gave birth. You know, a virgin again. You know, they, they knew that that was not the normal way. So they we have more questions, but but we understand the the basic idea the same way that they did. That this is something that that is um, a statement, but it's not an explanation. It doesn't say well what actually happened. They knew that too, and so. So um, when we read in the New Testament, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Luke says in his, in his biography, he says, uh, Mary says, well, how could this happen? First century, they knew this didn't normally happen. And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will call, be called the Son of God. So what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit? What what does it mean? Well, it doesn't tell us. And this is something that we can we can remember as we, as we talk about uh, our faith, um, that, that sometimes we have um, a belief that is not... An explanation, and so uh, in the Apostles' Creed we see that the creeds articulate beliefs, not understandings. This is a mystery that that Christians have never thought. Well, I've got it all figured out. I know exactly what was going on. You know what the ultrasound would have shown. They they never thought that. It's always been a mystery. It is a mystery, and it is a miracle. It is a miracle. In fact, I would say it is the great miracle. So, why why do I say that? Why is it why is it a miracle? Well. Um, because every other miracle points to it. Let me let me explain what I mean. So, um, a lot of Christians have tried to um, tried to understand this, right? You know, because it doesn't explain it in the creed, it doesn't explain it in the New Testament. People have said, "Well, wait a minute, what do you mean by that?" And so they've they've um, uh, voiced uh, different understandings. They said, "Well, maybe uh, not understandings, but but possibilities." They've said, "Maybe it's like this." Maybe it's like that. They've come up with different scenarios and said maybe that that would explain it, or maybe it's kind of like this. So people have used uh, comparisons, analogies, and they've said it could be like this. And one of the ones that's very popular, um, as people have have wrestled with this idea, is is um, the idea of uh, an author insert. If if you're a, if you're a fanfic reader, the author insert or self insert. Um, uh, I'm not a fanfic reader, but um, 
But I've seen movies. So, for example, in, a, in the movie, um, in pretty much all of his movies, Alfred Hitchcock, the director of the movie, appears. He has a cameo appearance in the movie. So in the, in the movie Strangers on a Train, you can see him carrying a cello up into the train as the main character is getting off. So he's got a little cameo appearance in the movie. Um, he is inside the movie. Um, in in uh, the painting of the the family of Philip the Fourth, the uh, painter um, Diego Velasquez put himself in it. So that's a, a close up of what's going on. And then you can see there's the painter in the corner. So he is actually in the painting that he's making to give to the the, the king. You know, picture of uh, Philip's uh, children. So so. Picture this idea, not because it's, it's accurate, but, but imagine if you are a painter or a director and you can put yourself in your creation, the thing you're making. Um, that's, that's the analogy that people have come up with. Somehow or another, Jesus, who is God, became part of creation. That's the big idea of Christianity, that, that Jesus, who is outside creation, entered creation, just like a painter could somehow get into his painting. Now, once he's there, he can do anything he wants, right? He could he could make the children taller or shorter. You know, he could do what he wants inside the painting because he's the painter. But he's also part of the painting. So how, how would that work? You know, we, we can say, I don't know, but at least that gives me an inkling of what it might be like. Now, one of the things is, if you're that... If you are that artist, if you're Diego Velasquez, then what happens when you enter into your painting? Well, you become flat, right? He's, he's lost a dimension. He's now just a flat painting, right? He's frozen, right? And you're holding his paintbrush or whatever. He can't move because that's, that's the nature of a painting. It doesn't move around. You know, it's, it's, it's stuck in time. If somehow he could enter into the painting, he'd have the limitations of a painting. And, and so he's, he's stuck with that. And that's, that's the place where we say, well, wait a minute. I don't feel limited. This is normal. You know, I, I'm me. I can do all the things I do. You know, this is, this is what it, what it's like. You know, there, this is normal. And my guess is the, the, if you could somehow talk to the kids in that painting, they'd say, yeah, but this is just, this is how paintings go. You know, we, we, we're all frozen in time. You know, this is, this is the way paintings work. So that's the big idea. That once, once the artist enters into his art, he can do whatever he wants, but he's limited by whatever the nature of that piece of art is. And that's why every miracle points to the incarnation. Jesus did this, right? Jesus entered into creation and he did things there. He, he healed the sick. He, uh, he restored sight to the blind. He even raised some people from the dead. Jesus acted within creation. But by doing so, he pointed to the big miracle, which is that God has entered into the work of art. God has become a part of the work of art himself. And the reason he did that is because the work of art was vandalized. You've, you've probably heard about, you know, somebody goes into a museum and slashes a painting or something. A lot of, a lot of uh, major artworks nowadays have got plexiglass or whatever uh, to keep people from destroying the painting. So the idea here, again, work with this analogy. Um, you know, like any analogy, it breaks down. But, but that's the idea is that somehow this painting, this work of art that is our universe has been damaged. It's been vandalized. And God entered into this work of art in order to fix 
what had been broken, what had been destroyed. And so all of that leads us to our reading today. Jesus has entered into the ark, and here he is. Jesus returns from the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit. He has just been baptized by his cousin John, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there he was tempted for 40 days in by the devil. It says, he ate nothing during those days, and afterward, Jesus was starving. This piece of art that I used in the program um, today comes from an artist who, uh, in the uh, 1800s in Russia. His name is Ivan Kremskoy, and he painted this picture, Christ in the Wilderness. I love this picture. Um, it shows Jesus, and he's looking at some stones. And the devil is whispering to him, why don't you just paint those into bread? Why don't you just change the stone into a bread? Just out of curiosity, who's the, whose bell is ringing? Okay, all right. They really want to talk to you. Um, and they can wait. All right. Um, so, um, so the devil comes to him and says, hey, you're the painter. You're the painter. You can put anything you want there. Right? You can change that stone into a piece of bread. The devil says, since you're God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. The devil says, you can do this because you're the artist. But really what he's saying is, how does it feel? Are you so sure of your project now? Now that you have actually entered into this, you have needs. You have never had needs before. In your nature as God, you do not have needs. You have never needed a thing, and now you're hungry. How do you like that? How about if you just give up on this project? How about if you change the project? You you know, it's like, that turned out to be hard. I'm going to do something else instead. That's what the devil is saying. How do you like being part of this creation? How do you like having needs? How do you like being hungry? Next, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Now, Some people go off on a theological tangent here, but one of the things we notice as we read the New Testament is whenever a demon or or somebody is talking um, uh, out of school, Jesus shuts them up. The demon says, I know who you are, and Jesus says, shut up. Because the devil is a liar, he is the father of lies. So there's a whole question here, is he lying, right? Does he have any authority? In fact, think about that word authority, what does it mean? It means I can write I have the ability to write. I am the author. The devil is lying. He is not the author. Jesus knows who the author is. The author has entered into creation, and he has authority. So there's, there's, there's the question, first of all, the devil is lying. But second of all, he's saying, do you remember when you could do this? You could see everything all at one instant? You could see all the kingdoms of the world, all at a single instant. You could see the past. You could see the future. It was all open to you like a book. You could just look at anything you wanted. You could see it all at once. Do you remember what it was like not to have limitations? Wouldn't you like to change that? C.S. 
see if you're inside the painting, if you're inside the work of art, you're stuck with the limitations. You know, the, the, the artist in the painting, he's frozen. Alfred Hitchcock is in black and white. He says, do you remember what it was like when you weren't limited? You could change. All you've got to do, just abandon your project. <coughs> the devil brought him into Jerusalem and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, since you're God's son, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Do you remember what it was like when you weren't fragile? When nothing could hurt you? When you were beyond any kind of assault or attack? Do you remember what it was like to be invulnerable? <laughs> Not anymore. But you could change that. You could change it. All you've got to do is abandon your project. Become a vandal like me, and you won't be fragile. If you, Jesus, abandon the project that God is at work on, and you become like me and follow your own path. You don't have to be fragile. You don't have to be limited. You don't have to have needs. The devil tempts Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he says, he, Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like human beings. This is what it means to enter into creation. When Jesus became one of us, he took on all of our limitations, our needs, our limits, our fragility. So God knows, God knows indeed how people have frailties. But as the writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The devil found his weak point, said, I know where to put the knife in and twist. I know how to make this hurt. I will attack you and make you think that you have to have some way out. And each time Jesus says, it's written, it's written, God has told me what his plan is. I know, we all know what God's plan is. It's been written. God doesn't want what you're proposing. God made that a stone. He wants it to go on being a stone. God doesn't want people to be jumping off the temple. The writer of of Hebrews, he also says this. He says, it is surely not angels that Jesus helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So we'll talk about atonement later on in this conversation. We're going to be looking at what that means. But what it what it essentially means is that he is repairing the vandalism. And he couldn't do that if he had remained a vandal, or if he had if he had succumbed to the temptation to become a vandal, to be changing the creation in a way that satisfied his own whims or his own his own uh, frailties. But instead, he followed what God told him. And because he has experienced what we what we have, 
we can believe him when he says, trust me. Trust me, I'm working on, I see the problems. I feel the problems. I know exactly what we humans are dealing with. And I'm working on them. So trust me. I do understand, and I can help. I can help. The, the, the writer said, it is not angels he helps, it is us. It is the descendants of Abraham. We are helped by Jesus. Jesus says, the same strength I had that enabled me to resist my temptations, I can give that to you. I can help you resist the temptations in your life. And when you fail anyway, I forgive you because I do understand what it's like. But first, give me a chance to help. One of the ways Jesus helps us is through the sacrament. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And it is... Christians differ, again, you know, Christians differ on everything, but one of the things that essentially every Christian tradition agrees with is that it is a reminder of God's presence, that God is at work in the world, that Jesus is helping us even now that he has returned to heaven, that Jesus is watching us, praying for us, and helping us through the work of his body and his Holy Spirit. So as we receive the gift that that Jesus offers us from this table, remember, it is for your aid in times of temptation. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you came inside the painting, that you came in so you could assure us that yes, it is a mess and it has totally been vandalized, but you are working on it. And if we trust you, everything will be made right. Lord, help us to turn to you every time we despair, every time we feel the temptation, every time we want to make the stones in our lives into bread. Help us to trust your plan and to trust Jesus to help us. We pray these things in his holy name. Amen.